Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you've seen well, for I'm ready to perform my word. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot and it's facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. They shall come and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. I will utter my judgments against them concerning their wickedness because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. Therefore, prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. As we dive into the first chapter of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is going to be called and is called by God. And in that calling, there is an awkward hesitation. And the awkward hesitation comes because of the work that's before him and the wickedness that surrounds him and the weakness within him. Access almost any news source, and you will read that our country is in trouble, that we're on the verge of an economic collapse, a possible collapse of our currency, massive debt, record unemployment, our resources are dwindling, our military and trade obligations expanding, political upheaval in our country, party politics deepening the divide between American and American. And when you think about who you are and where you are in history, you need to understand something that Jeremiah was written 2,600 years ago. Now, you've got to understand that all nations experience times of prosperity and adversity. And when Jeremiah received his call to the ministry, his country was in deep moral decline. The home front of Judea was in a state of almost complete abandonment of God and apostasy. The northern kingdom had already been taken away by Assyria. Babylon was growing in strength and power in the east. And Egypt was making claims on Judea, constantly pressuring her and squeezing her for more and more resources. And so Jeremiah is called to the ministry during a difficult time in his nation's history. Immorality on the rise, idolatry, a way of life, violence, brutality, and the worship of false gods 
were everywhere. Does this sound familiar at all to you? Jeremiah was appointed by God to warn Judea and the surrounding nations of God's coming judgment. But Jeremiah was also sent to assure the true believer of God's loving kindness and God's eternal love and God's personal care and to repeat the promises that a Messiah was going to come, that Messiah was on his way. And few people have ever been called to a more difficult or demanding assignment than Jeremiah. Why? Because of the condition of the people and because of the unpopularity of the message. But Jeremiah will remain faithful. He will never cease to remind the people of God's imminent judgment. And the message was met with resistance. And much of Jeremiah's life is going to be spent in rejection and isolation. But he's going to remain faithful and he's going to remain true. Now, I want you to, for a moment, to imagine living in a generation where people all around you are concerned more about money and more about materialism than spiritual matters. I want you to imagine that you live in a world where people, by and large, live to satisfy their physical and personal cravings, worshiping idols, all the while confessing a deep and sincere belief about the religious traditions that they grew up in. I know what you're thinking. That's a perfect description of the world I'm living in. People who say that, hey, you know, I grew up a Christian and I grew up reading the Bible and I grew up loving and trusting God. Well, how do you explain your life right now? And so for Jeremiah, the calling is direct. The calling is personal. The calling is specific. Let's look. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I want you to notice the language in the verse. New. Sanctified. Ordained. These are the words and the language of predestination and foreordination. You may not know those words, but predestination simply means to know in advance. And foreordination means that the unfolding events of history that are beginning to take place are completely known by God. One seminary professor said... <laughs> If you try to wrap your mind around the concept of election, you could lose your mind. He said, but if you neglect what it says, you could lose your soul. What does that mean? Here's what it means. That somewhere in the mystery of God's knowing everything about everything... And in the mystery of the fact that God has ordained the ability for you to choose and to choose otherwise. That somewhere in the mystery of the reality that God knows everything about everything. He in no way diminishes your capacity to make a personal decision and be held accountable for that decision. It's also significant in the passage that Jeremiah is called a prophet to the nations. And we have every reason to believe that Jeremiah's words have everything to do, not just simply with Judah, who he's speaking to, but to all nations and every nation. Now, remember, the point of the passage in part is to build confidence and assurance in Jeremiah. God is calling Jeremiah. And the Hebrew word translated no is an interesting word. It's yada. And when it's used in relationship to God, it, re it describes a perfect knowledge, a complete knowledge, a timeless, all-encompassing knowledge. When the Lord says, I 
before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. In other words, God knew everything in advance and that that knowledge of Jeremiah was full and complete. Think about this for just a moment. The Lord was aware of every fault, every virtue, every strength, every weakness, every failure, every success. The Lord knew that Jeremiah would trust him. The Lord knew that he would walk in the integrity of his calling. The Lord knew that the choice that God had made was a right choice and an appropriate choice. And the word sanctified, by the way, means to set apart for a specific uh, service or purpose. And so when he says, I know you and have known you, it doesn't necessarily refer to the pre-existence of Jeremiah. Some people have wrongfully thought, well, Jeremiah must have existed sometime in the past. And the answer is no, he didn't exist in the past in any other place than in the mind of God and in the heart of God. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment in the self-existent heart of the self-existent creator. There was never a time when he didn't know you and everything about you. I want you to imagine a time when there was no time. I want you to imagine a time when the only being that existed was the self-existent God with the sum and substance of everything that could possibly be known. And he's always known about you. He knew about your mother and father. He knew about the circumstances that you would grow up. He knew about where you would go to school. He would he would know about the friendship and the failure. He would know about the pain and the disaster. He would know about the choices. He would know everything about everything. God knew about Jeremiah. And the word sanctified, like I said, means to set apart for a specific purpose. And remember what we've already learned. Jeremiah was born into a priestly family. His father was a priest and his father's father was a priest. He grew up in a family where he was supposed to minister in the temple and perform the duty of a priest. But God set Jeremiah apart to be a prophet to the nations. And because God had set him apart to be a prophet to the nations, he was therefore not to engage in activities that would hinder or limit or prohibit that function. In other words, everything that God had appointed and everything that God had designed was to fulfill God's will and God's plan. The ordination or appointment prophet to the nations might seem like a really high calling. Imagine you meet someone. Hey, what do you do? Hey, I work at Quiznos. What do you do? I'm a prophet to the nations. Wow. How do you become a prophet to the nations? Well, I'm I'm called by God to be a prophet to the nations. You have to understand something. That if you're not called to be a prophet to the nations, it's probably a really stupid idea for you to say that about yourself. God created the world and God created the nations. And because he created the world and the nations, he picks and chooses and appoints whomever he pleases. And God has made only one person, Lord and Savior of the universe. God has made only one person. The healer of the heart, the forgiver of sin and the reconciler of the sinner. God chose Abraham to be the father of Israel and God would set aside a race of people to bring forth the Messiah. And so Jeremiah was to be a prophet to all people groups. That's what the nations mean. And through Jeremiah, God will warn the world. And I'm going to suggest to you that through Jeremiah, God continues to warn the world that unless we repent of our sin, unless we trust the Lord, The judgment of God looms large on the horizon. I think that this in part is in part what what Paul had in mind in Galatians chapter one, verse 15, when he wrote. But when it pleased God who separated me 
from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Paul understood that that separation and calling comes from God. In what way is the believer called, chosen, accepted? I want to remind you, I don't have time to go over at great length, but I do want to remind you of Ephesians chapter 1. And if you don't know where Ephesians is, go to, to the New Testament, go past Galatians, and this is how you remember, giants eat peas and corn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you flip past Galatians, you go to Ephesians chapter one, and it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him that is in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us as adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I just want to quickly remind you. Paul says that we are called and by we, I mean you and me. That we are called and chosen and adopted and accepted in Jesus Christ. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians that our salvation was planned by the Father, purchased by the Son, preserved by the Holy Spirit. God blessed us in verses 1 through 3, selected us in verse 4, before he made the world, that we might be holy and without fault in his eyes. The Father adopted us in verses 5 and 6, purchased us by the blood of Jesus, and he did this so that we could praise him. It might not seem all of that radical to you, but you have been chosen and adopted and accepted so that you could know him and love him and be with him forever. The Holy Spirit's presence serves as a special seal on our heart. And according to verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 1, it says... That he does so in order to give us encouragement and assurance. And that's exactly, that's exactly, that's exactly what God is going to do to Jeremiah. Because the very first thing that you need to understand when you are called is that it's not a joke, that it's not wishful thinking. Has the devil ever whispered into your ear, Christianity's a joke. It's one big, fat, stinking joke. You've been duped. You could be at home right now watching TV. Thank God for TiVo. Why do you do this? Why go to church? Why open your Bible? Why read it? And the Bible says... Because I've chosen you. I've adopted you. I've accepted you. Throughout history, all of history was moving in this direction. Now, in the calling of Jeremiah, look at what it says in verse 6. Then said I, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a youth. Now, here's Jeremiah's response. I'm too... Young, I'm inarticulate or inexperienced. Now, remember what I've told you earlier, if you were here for the first message. The ministry of Jeremiah would stretch over 41 years. He was probably called to the ministry at the tender age of about 20 years of age, maybe even younger. Whatever his age Jeremiah was old enough to understand the wickedness of his people and the wickedness of his heart and the inadequacies and inexperience in his life. And remember that the chief function of a prophet was 
speech. If you are going to be a spokesperson for God, it seems that it would make sense that you should be able to articulate. Even Moses said, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech in Exodus chapter four, verse 10. Isaiah, remember, he wrote, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips in Isaiah chapter six, verse five. He was in effect saying, Lord, I am too dirty and the message too holy to transmit the communication of God. Jeremiah could easily have said, let me take some speech classes at Jerusalem Junior College first. Let me go to the city of David Metro University. Give me an opportunity to go to the school of the prophets. Give me an opportunity so that when people question me, they can say, where did you go to seminary? What are your credentials? What gives you the right to speak for God? Jeremiah's experienced an overwhelming sense of inadequacy and immaturity and inexperience. But thank God, he doesn't necessarily call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. Jeremiah is sensitive and emotional. As we read the book of Jeremiah, we are going to understand how he was easily encouraged by success and threatened by failure. And he was keenly aware of the heavy burden that God had placed on his life and on his shoulders. And we can find lots of excuses to resist the call of God in our life. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too rich. I'm too poor. I'm somebody's grandpa. I'm somebody's grandma. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know this. I don't know that. We can find lots of excuses to resist the call of God. But in spite of our weakness, we have to allow the Lord the opportunity to be strong in our lives. And we're going to see that in the Lord's response. In verse 7, it says, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth. For you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. And I'm going to include verse 8 very briefly. Do not be afraid of their faces. And I want you to understand something, that the command of the Lord could be boiled down into three things. Underline them. Go, where I tell you to go. Say, What I tell you to say, and don't be afraid. That's it. Go where I tell you to go. Say what I tell you to say, and don't be afraid. It's okay for you to ask the question, Lord, where are you telling me to go? Lord, what are you asking me to say? And Lord, why are you reminding me not to be afraid? Now, again, the Lord calls Jeremiah and then the Lord enables Jeremiah. The Lord doesn't play to Jeremiah's ego or build on his self-esteem. He reminds Jeremiah that the Lord God, the all-sufficient God, the all-powerful God would direct Jeremiah's ministry and give Jeremiah the specific words necessary to represent the Lord. I want you to think about that for just a moment. The Lord God dismisses Jeremiah's objection on the grounds that the authority of the message doesn't lie in the person who speaks the message, but rather on the grounds of the authority of the one who is given the message. And you see, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't lie in your youth or in your age or in your inadequacy or your inability. Because in every generation, the gospel is still true. Sinners need a savior. God is in the business of healing and cleansing, forgiving and redeeming and reconciling. 
Clearly, the gospel's power doesn't lie in the person who speaks. But rather in the message that's spoken. How much training and equipping do you need to be able to say? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, those people who say that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, you begin reading Jeremiah where Jeremiah records, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. And you begin to read the ministry and the life of Jeremiah and you go, oh, no. You mean part of God's plan is to. Repeat an unpopular message to people who don't want to hear that message. Welcome to the gospel. Are there people who resist and reject the message of God? Yes. Clearly, God has a people group in mind. Jeremiah will be sent by God with a message from God. And that becomes an important part both for you to understand your own calling and to realize what's going on in Jeremiah's life. Jeremiah isn't the product of wishful thinking. This this message isn't because Jeremiah stumbled on some magic mushrooms and near Jerusalem and he ate them and he had visions. Jeremiah isn't making up this message. Jeremiah isn't engaged in wishful thinking concerning a desire to have a ministry that he doesn't really welcome. And in verse 8, when it says, do not be afraid of their, their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Think about what, what that means. Lord, Lord, the people are looking at me. Jeremiah, what do you see? Cold, hard stares. These people aren't enjoying this. <laughs> they don't welcome the message. Have you ever shared the gospel and people looked at you with this, this blank, almost frightening stare? You know, if you ask them the forbidden question, what do you think is going to happen when you die? What are you saying? We can't talk about that. Well, you know, I don't mean to be rude, but I mean, the reality is we're all going to die one day. Don't you wonder what's going to happen when you die? Yes, of course, but we, we have an agreement. We don't talk about stuff like that. Okay, let's talk about something else. Do you believe that there's such a thing as heaven or hell? No, that's kind of even almost worse than the first question. Lord, they're looking at me. Lord, look at the angry stares. Look at the contempt. Look at the incredulity on their faces. Look at the stone. Look at how, look at how mad they are that I brought up the subject of That there are consequences for sin and that God judges sin. These people are pretty unhappy. Don't be concerned about their faces. Jeremiah would have to find encouragement in the Lord. Because guess what? He isn't going to find it in the people that he's ministering to. And this becomes an important point for me. If I based my ministry on your response, then I would quit right now. And well, I should. I've told you that 50 people have to visit your church before one will stay. Can you imagine? You bring the same message to the same people. But Jeremiah is going to have to find encouragement in the Lord. And Jeremiah is going to have to find comfort in the unseen presence of the Lord. Here's the Lord's promise. For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. In other words, the Lord's call brings the Lord's consolation. Remember the three things? Go where I tell you to go. Say what I'm telling you to say. And don't be afraid. And so it's okay, like I said earlier, to ask the Lord, where do you want me to go? 
what is it that you want me to say? And why will why should I not be afraid? Because remember, you've been entrusted with an unpopular message. The other thing is that the call of the Lord is real and personal. Jeremiah's call includes a message. But like I said, in order for you to understand your call and in order to understand your instructions and your message, you have to be able and willing to come to grips with it, what God has asked you to do. And I think of the very simple thing that Jesus spoke when he rose from the dead and he said, go into all of the nations. Instructing them on the things that I've instructed you, teaching them to observe all of the things that I've asked you to observe. And lo, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So go where to the unbelievers with what message? You don't have to remain in your sin. The Messiah has come. He's willing to forgive you. And then you see the blank stare, which turns to the angry stare. What are you saying? The Messiah's come. He's willing to forgive your sin. Who told you I was a sinner? It's not like it's a big secret. Who told you? You know what? I got to tell you something. I first discovered the reality of sin because of my own life. I realized that the wickedness and the emptiness inside of my heart was because I was resisting God and rebelling against God. But God was willing to speak to me about life and love and forgiveness and redemption. And unless the call of the Lord is real and personal to you, you'll never go forward with God's message. If you are even at this very moment questioning the call of God, God, have you called me? Is there a calling on my life? Do you have a special message for me? Do you have a special calling on my life? Then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to flip back to uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and take the page and gently but firmly rip it out of your Bible and crumple it up and throw it away. Because if you name the name of Christ, if you've received grace and mercy then the call of the Lord must become real. Over and over and over again in the scriptures, the Lord says to his servants, fear not. God told that to Abraham. Abraham, don't be afraid. Moses, don't be afraid in Numbers 21, 34 and Deuteronomy 3, 2. Daniel, don't be afraid. Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Fear not. Peter, Luke chapter 5, verse 10. Don't be afraid. Paul, Acts 27, 24. Don't be afraid. Why do you suppose the Lord told Abraham, Moses, Daniel, Mary, Peter, and Paul, don't be afraid? Because there was a call on their life and a message in their life and an opportunity to speak that message and resistance to that message. Lord, I'm beginning to understand something that if I actually go where you tell me to go and Lord, if I actually say what you asked me to say, there are going to be people who are unhappy with the Lord speaks to you, doesn't he? Like who? Like my husband, for one. Like my wife, for one. Like my children, for another. Like my neighbors, for another. Like my friends, for another. As a matter of fact, the vast majority of people I know reject the message of salvation in Christ. They even have little conversations with me. Look, when you show up, the God thing, the Jesus thing. Why? Because, you know, it's awkward and uncomfortable. You make people feel awkward and uncomfortable. You know what? A guy who was from Egypt, who has a ministry to the Muslims, Sammy Tanago, he once said to me, Gino, Pastor Gino, confine your offense to the gospel. I never forgot it. 
limit, confine your offense to the gospel. If you're going to be offensive in some way, make sure that you're offensive because it's the gospel. Not because you're being rude or you're being mean or you're being demeaning. In verse 9 it says, Then the Lord put forth his hand and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. There's a supernatural event that's taking place. Jeremiah doesn't have to make up a message. Human wisdom is no substitute for divine revelation. Remember what we were singing when we were worshiping together. Give us wisdom. We want to know you, Father. Revelation. We want to know you, Jesus. It's a supernatural unfolding. It is a wisdom and a revelation that isn't the product of my imagination or the wishful thinking of the people who pen the Bible. Jeremiah doesn't make up the message. This is not human wisdom. The message comes from God's hand to the mouth of Jeremiah straight to our hearts. Here's here's the declaration of the Bible. God spoke to Jeremiah. Do you realize that that's what the Bible says? The Bible says that God spoke to Moses, that God spoke to Joshua, that God spoke to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. God spoke to Daniel. God spoke in times past, it says in Hebrews, to the prophets, but he has in these last days spoken to us by his own dear son. This is why the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Here's John's declaration that God spoke to humanity, not simply the words of Jesus, but that Jesus himself is the declaration of God. Jesus himself is God's communication. By the way, that word logos is a very interesting word in in the Greek language. The word logos, it means the express communication. It means something invisible becoming audible. Right now, I want you to think of a word in your mind. It can be any word. Do you realize that no one knows that word that's in your mind right now? That the only way that that word can be known is for you to speak it. And the moment it's spoken, because we share a common language, we have a mechanism whereby we can understand one another. And that's what Jesus is. He is the mechanism whereby God has spoken to us a timeless message. And so... Jeremiah will speak to his generation. And I'm going to suggest something to you. The reason why the words of Jeremiah still contain power for those who are willing to listen to the words and understand the words and obey the words, it's because Jeremiah didn't make this up on some hillside in Judea. And so, how are we to measure the success of our ministry? Well, if outward evidence includes response by the people, then Jeremiah's ministry must be counted as a failure. Will Jeremiah faithfully speak the word? Yes. Will the people hear the word, understand the word, and obey the word? For those of you who have never read the book, I've got bad news for you. The vast majority of people who hear the words of Jeremiah... May understand them, but they don't believe them. And they will resist Jeremiah. And they will make life miserable for Jeremiah. But look what it says in verse 10. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Now, I want you to understand what God is even saying in this particular message. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. In what way? 
I want you to think carefully about what the Lord is saying. I'm going to speak to you. Got that. Everything I say to you is going to come to pass. I got that. So in what way is Jeremiah said over the nations and over the kingdoms? The whole point becomes I will take human history and I will make it submit and conform to what I have to say. This is in part what the Lord is saying. That the message of Jeremiah is going to include a message of rooting out and pulling down and destroying and throwing down. In other words, Jeremiah is going to have to tear certain things away before he can bring a message that's going to build up. You know, sometimes that's exactly what happens when you train law enforcement officers and military people. You have to strip them of their old way of thinking and their old way of doing and their old way of living a life of selfishness. And you have to re-instruct them of what it means to live a life of selflessness. You have to take away what they used to think and you have to impart to them a new way of thinking. When God calls a person and when Jesus saves us and calls us. Sometimes that includes stripping away all of the stuff that you grew up with and beginning to think in a whole new way. Now, also, there's something else that's happening. Do you think that Jeremiah (laughs) needs a sense of encouragement and and a sense of assurance? Lord, is that really you? Is this call really from God? Is this message a real message from God? I'm going to suggest to you that Jeremiah needed exactly what you need. Assurance. Encouragement. Confidence. Jeremiah needed the confidence to understand and speak God's message to the nations. And that's why we do what we do here. That's why every week... Week after week, we design all of the Bible studies at our church to encourage you and to assure you and to give you the confidence that the message of the Bible is true. That when God promises forgiveness in Christ, it is true. When God says, if you'll turn from your sin and your unbelief, If you'll receive Christ as your savior, your world will be different. And so when the time comes for Jeremiah to speak the message, he will deliver the message in spite of the opposition, in spite of the trial and the persecution. And so what else has the Lord done? Remember in verse nine, the Lord will earlier give him encouragement and assurance. And then in verse nine, he will touch his mouth. And remember, that represents or symbolizes the word of God and the power and the authority of the word of God, because the Bible has power and authority. Jeremiah has power and authority. Remember, the Bible says that the word of God is sharper than any two edged sword. It is able to divide between the soul and the spirit. You have no power in and of yourself. You might think, I don't have the the power or the courage or the confidence to say, if you will repent of your sin. And unbelief, Jesus Christ will come into your heart and he will forgive you and he will change you. How do you know that's true? Number one, I know it's true because it happened to me. And number two, because the Bible says so. And even though if it never happened to me, it would still be true. This is what Jesus said when he said, come to me, believe in me, forsake your sin. And from this point forward. Jeremiah has no need to feel inadequate or immature or insecure or insufficient. Because the Lord has given Jeremiah what is necessary. His own message, his own word, 
And in verse 10, God spells out that message that's to be given to the nations. The message is a message of God's judgment, but it's also a message of God's mercy and God's salvation. That's the gospel. I have bad news. <laughs> What's the bad news? If you continue to live in rebellion and resistance to God, it's not going to go well for you. What's the good news? Resistance and rebellion can be set aside and God is willing to forgive you because of Jesus Christ, the Lord. The Lord will uproot and he will tear down. And he will rebuild if the people turn from their sin and turn to the Lord. Here's the message of Jeremiah. God will pardon you and save you. If you'll let him. However, if the people remain blind and deaf and unwilling to turn from their wickedness, if they continue in their rebellion, if they continue in their disobedience, if they continue to neglect and ignore and reject God's righteous commandments, the day of judgment is coming for those who rebel and resist. And this was God's word that Jeremiah was to proclaim, a word that included pardon and mercy and grace and forgiveness. But a word of condemnation for those who continued in unrighteousness and rebellion. And so we can take great comfort in the fact that the moment, the moment, the moment the Lord asks us to do anything or say anything. He'll give you exactly what you need. The moment the Lord says to you, go, you don't have to say, how will I get there? All you need to do is just simply say, You've asked me to go. I'll go where you tell me to go. What do you want me to say? I'll put the words inside of your mouth. I'll tell you what to say. Lord, they're not going to like that. I know. Don't be afraid. And that's the point. God's call isn't based on your ability. But on your availability, God's call isn't based on appearance or race or charisma or voice quality or personality or oratorical sophistication. In other words, you, you might be thinking, I can't go there. I can't say that. I can't do that. God's call isn't even based on intellectual capacity or theological ability or the ability to come up with dramatic emotional connections. God seems to call based on the condition of your heart. Is it available or unavailable? Is it open or closed? Is it committed to the things of God or not committed to the things of God? Is it open and loving and surrendered? Then guess what? You're a good candidate. In the New Testament, Paul reminds the Corinthians that there were all kinds of different gifts, but the same spirit. There are all different kinds of administrations, but the same Lord. There are different operations, but the same God works all in all. The gifts of the spirit and the manifestation of those gifts are given for the benefit of everyone, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so in verses 11 through 19... He gives a confirmation, a series of visions. In verse 11, it says, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. You might be thinking, is this prophecy 101? Is this? This is the Lord testing one, two, three, testing one, two, three. Jeremiah, do we have a connection? You might think that. But the Lord would sometimes give a message by a vision. And remember, this vision isn't imaginary. It's not wishful thinking. It's not something the prophet makes up in his own heart or imagination. This is the word of the Lord. And Jeremiah has the vision of a branch of an almond tree. By the way, in the Middle East, the almond tree is the first to bud. It's the first to come to life in the winter. And in the ancient culture of Israel, the almond tree was called the wake tree, like awake, shoked. Jeremiah may have been wondering, 
Okay, Lord, when are you going to intervene in the affairs of Judah? He has a vision. The wake tree. The idea is God is awake and he's ready to act. God is ready. The time has come. This is the time. So the vision in part is to confirm Jeremiah to Jeremiah God's willingness to act. In other words, I'm asking you to go. I'm giving you a message and I'm telling you not to be afraid. And now is the time to act on your calling. In other words, the vision of the almond tree is, this is a sure sign. With the moment that you see an almond tree beginning to branch, you know that spring has come. And so God is assuring Jeremiah that God sees what God sees and is imparting to Jeremiah a vision. In verse 12, look what it says. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. Why is this important? When certain events take place, God wants Jeremiah to know that God is going to fulfill the promise and the warning. If the people continued in wickedness, punishment, if they would turn in, in, in repentance, righteousness, if the people repent of their sin and turn to the Lord, there's hope, there's forgiveness, there's salvation. And just like Jeremiah saw the almond tree bud and flower, this is the sign. This is the sign of spring. So God is watching the times and the seasons of the earth to determine the right moment to execute judgment. It's actually a kind of a play on words. In verse 13, and the word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot and it's facing away from the north. In other words, the pot is facing south and it's boiling. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. In other words, Jeremiah sees a pot, a cauldron, where this is something where Meats and vegetables would be boiled in ancient cultures. When you would get stuff together, you would put it in the pot, you'd boil it and you'd just boil it and boil it and boil it so that you could eat it. Because usually you couldn't eat that stuff. It says, then the Lord said to me. Out of the north calamity shall break forth the vision that he has. Is the pot that's paced, it's facing south. But as it begins to boil and boil and boil, it begins to tip and the hot liquid begins to run north. And so here's the idea. Things are about to boil over in the north. And when a pot spills and the hot liquid comes, whatever is in the pathway of the liquid is going to be burned. And that's the point that he's making. God is in control of the events in world history. He's making kingdoms to rise and kingdoms to fall. God can and use nations to serve as instruments of punishment or blessing. And so the judgment of Israel, and this becomes the important thing for you. The judgment on Israel isn't on the basis of whim. It isn't on the basis of fate. It isn't because of the unpredictability of the nations and the rulers. The Bible is making it clear. The impending judgment on Judah is based on the inevitable harvest of sin. That's why this judgment is happening. And you know, for the person who wonders, does God judge accidentally or capriciously? The answer is no. God acts according to a perfect plan. In Jeremiah 115, it says, For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. They shall come and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around. Listen to what it's saying. The Lord calls and the Lord allows the families of the kingdoms of the north To entertain a thought, embrace that thought, and act on that thought. And what is that thought? Wouldn't it be nice to have Jerusalem in my pocket? Wouldn't it be great if Jerusalem were a part of my kingdom? I mean, Jerusalem's a beautiful city with a beautiful temple and lots of resources. 
What is it about this city and this place that people want it in their kingdom? And so it says at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around against the cities of Judah. Verse 16, I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness because they have forsaken me. They burned incense to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. K. Owen White writes, quote, quote, God says that these invading conquering armies will represent his disciplinary hand falling upon the people who had deliberately, number one, forsaken him. Number two burned incense to other gods. Number three, worshipped man-made idols. I'm going to comment in just a moment. He writes, quote, The time is ripe for judgment. Moral and spiritual regression are about to bear their destructive harvest. And so the judgment's coming. Why? Because they forsook God. You mean God... Isn't good if you just ignore him, pretend like he's not there, pretend that he doesn't exist. You know, most of my life, as I look around and I see the world in which we live, people occupy themselves for the most part in ways of not having to think about God. It isn't that they hate God, they just don't want to have to think about him. And when he says burned incense to other gods, you know why people would burn incense? Remember, the burning of the incense represented the prayers that would go up into heaven. It was the Lord's way of saying, you keep asking for favors from things and beings that don't exist. Well, I pray to God all the time. Really? The God of the Bible? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? The God who reveals himself in the Bible, the God who reveals his character and his will and his circumstances in the Bible. Is that the God you pray to? Or do you pray to a God who's the product of your own imagination? Well, that's not the God I believe in. Tell me the God that you believe in again. I believe in a God who doesn't. He loves everybody and he will never punish wickedness for any reason. Does that sound like the God in the Bible? The ripe, the time was ripe for harvest. Now, remember, the Lord is speaking to Judah. They broke their covenant. They failed to honor their promises to God. And in consequences, the curses that are outlined in Deuteronomy are going to come about. And then in verse 17, it says, therefore, prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces. He repeats, therefore, prepare yourself and arise. Jeremiah is commanded to speak. All that I command you. So when he says, I need you to get up, the word arise is a very interesting word in the Hebrew language. Have you ever been woken up out of a sound sleep? Like, has anyone ever called you at three o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning? And you were like dead, stinking, sound REM sleep, you are sound asleep, and then all of a sudden you hear this ringing, and a person gets on the other line. Mom, Dad, who is this? Uh, your offspring? Do you realize it's four o'clock in the morning? I know, I'm sorry. But you're disoriented. You don't know if this is the real world or, or if it's a dream world. Jeremiah says, is told to get up, to get up. There's no room for Jeremiah's thoughts or ideas and speak to them everything I have commanded you. Note what he doesn't say. You know, just sort of come up with something novel, uh, come up with some great idea, some opinion, some suggestion. Jeremiah isn't told to learn the failed philosophies of the wisest human beings. He's not invited to obtain an advanced degree in psychology or even theology. He's not called to master the great ideas of all of the great people. He's not to understand necessarily the accumulated knowledge of the wisdom and science of everything that everybody has ever learned. He's not saying, look, I'm going to give you in advance Google here. Look, I'm going to create the Internet, give you Google. All you have to do is put the word in the search engine. You can find out whatever you want he just says speak to them all that I command you 
Well, does this mean that education and preparation play no part in the life of the believer? No, no, that's not what it means. But it does mean that Jeremiah's job is unique. Jeremiah's job is to preach God's word and God's message and only that message. That doesn't mean that you can't have a job and that you can't have an education. But it does mean that once you are called. And once you're told to go. And once God gives you a message. You need to be faithful to that message. And don't fear the opposition and don't abandon the mission and don't flee the mission. Don't give up the mission and look at the harsh, harsh warning that God gives even to Jeremiah. Lest I dismay you before them. What? I called you. I've set you aside. I've ordained you and sanctified you. Don't. Neglect. Don't reject the call. So what does this mean to you and to me? We are constantly tempted to forsake our calling. We're constantly tempted to backslide. We're constantly tempted to turn away from our God-given commitments. So what's your mission? What's your calling? Where is it that God has asked you to go? What is it that God has asked you to say? And look what the Lord says, unless you become overwhelmed by the warning, lest I dismay you before them. Now, look what the Lord says for behold, because you should read that and go, lest I dismay you before them. Oh, I could blow it. I could fail. I could stumble. I could fall. For behold, I will make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its princes and priests, and against all of the people. The Lord uses a series of metaphors or figures of speech that represent defensiveness. The Lord will give Jeremiah the ability to face every angry stare, all of the mocking, all of the opposition, all of the persecution. Here's what he's saying. Jeremiah, I will make you impregnable. I will make you invincible. I will make you as strong as a fortified city. I will make you like an iron pillar. I will make you like a bronze wall. No matter who attacks you, no matter who brings the opposition. Well, what if the king brings opposition? I don't care. What about government officials? I don't care. What about priests? What about religious workers? What about the mob? I'll give you power over all of them. They won't be able to break down your strength. They won't be able to overcome you. Well, what if people laugh at me at school? It won't matter. What if they make fun of me on the job? It won't matter. What if my whole family disowns me? It won't matter. Because I'll give you a place to go. And I'll give you something to say. And it will be irresistible. The people's resistance will be passive at first. And then it will be open and dramatic. And then the Lord repeats the promise that no one wants to hear. In verse 19. They will fight against you. But they won't prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. So what's at stake? The people reject God's judgment and punishment. The Lord reminds Jeremiah that the people will fight against him. They'll fight against the message. They won't prevail. You're wrong, Jeremiah. You're wrong. Judgment isn't on the way. And Jeremiah will remain faithful. He will declare the glory, the majesty, and the righteousness of God to his generation. And he's also going to declare the need for people to abandon sin and to honor and please the Lord. 
You know, the Apostle Peter said, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation or trials and to reserve the unjust for judgment day to be punished, it says in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9. God knows exactly what he's doing and he's going to accomplish all that he's planned. You know, what we are is God's gift to us. And what we do is our gift to God. What we are is God's gift to us. God made you exactly the way that he made you. He gave you the mental, emotional, physical, financial, spiritual capacities in order to honor him. And what you do with those capacities is your gift to God. For Jeremiah, the task is demanding. For Jeremiah... The times will be difficult. For Jeremiah, there'll be times of doubt. For Jeremiah, the message will be dangerous. Have you ever thought about that? Gospel is a dangerous message, isn't it? Because it calls a person to abandon wickedness and selfishness. And to embrace hope and forgiveness and grace and a new way of thinking and a new way of living. If I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, everything will change. True or false? It is true. It is true. And for the person who accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior... And nothing changes. I'm going to suggest to you that maybe you didn't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Nothing's changed. Three things. Go where you're told. Say what you're told to say. And don't be afraid of their response. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord. What an introduction. To a series of messages. But Lord we pray that we would be faithful. Lord I pray for that person who is wondering. Even at this time. Lord where do you want me to go? Lord what is it that you want me to say? Lord why are you telling me not to be afraid? (laughs) Lord I pray that you would speak to them in no uncertain terms. The meaning of that message. Clearly, you have a place for Jeremiah to go and you have a place for us to go. Clearly, you had a message for Jeremiah and you have a message for us. And Lord, we pray that we would be faithful to the message. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. He's willing to save people. He's willing to forgive people. He's willing to redeem people. Lord, we pray that we would be bold and patient with the message. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you prepare our hearts now as we receive communion. Lord, I pray that as we declare our love and loyalty to you once again, that you will burn in our hearts a message of hope and redemption, of grace and mercy, of salvation and reconciliation. Lord, we pray that we would encourage one another. And remind one another that there is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.